Um, my name is Andrew Clausen, and um, I've been here a few times, so I know quite a few of you. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you after uh, our time this, this morning. Um, I'm one of the pastoral fellows here at Christ Community, and I spend most of my time kind of at the Leewood campus. So um, I get to see you once in a while, but I generally am not down here every week. But as always, it is really good to be back to the downtown campus. And um, yeah, it's just great to see you all. My wife, Greer, isn't here this morning because we had a baby four weeks ago yesterday, which is really exciting. Her name is Myra Catherine Clausen, and she is healthy, and she's... um, She's doing well. She slept all right last night, which means I got a little bit of sleep last night, which is good. So I look a little less, you know, just haggard coming in here and spending time with you guys. I look a little less. Um, I can preach this message a little better because I can actually praise the Lord even in my, my facial expressions and my energy. So that being said, why don't I pray for us and then we'll get started. Father, we praise you for this time that we have together this morning and we ask... Um, Lord, we we ask for your blessing, Lord, especially as we open your word and look at this most important um, topic of your your good news of salvation in Christ Jesus and how we are to praise you for that good news. Lord, we ask in this time that you would open our hearts, Lord, that you would open our ears and our minds to hear what you're saying to us, to hear what David has called us to do as those who who are your people. Lord, we ask these things the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. If you guys have a Bible, please go ahead and open it to Psalm 103 if you haven't already. And um, yeah, just in, by way of introduction, you know, we're starting, it's, it's late May, it's almost June, and we've kind of started or at least started to get through this, this graduation season, you know, like if our stomachs can take another mayonnaise-based salad or another sunburn or lawn game or something like that, I'm going to move a little closer because it's always hard when you have one row that doesn't want to sit there. Sorry, Jenny, but we're close. (laughs) We're neighbors, so I can come a little closer to her. Um, Anyways, graduation season has commenced, and I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and um, she said, yeah, my daughter Gianna has a graduation this coming week. And I gave her a funny look, and she recognized my funny look, and then... um, realized she had to make up for why I was giving her that funny look. Because as she said that, I was thinking to myself, how could your daughter have a graduation this coming week? Because she's five years old. So instead of going to K-State or KU in the fall, she's actually going to kindergarten. She's a preschooler. And she has a graduation, like with caps and gowns and, and kind of the, the whole ordeal, which now I know before you send me some mean-spirited email or call me or come and see me afterwards, um, I admit, if one of my children had a preschool graduation, I would go to it because it would be the cutest thing ever to see our children, you know, little, little people in caps and gowns. That being said, I think this illustration actually kind of says something a little deeper about how we have this tendency sometimes to to really value or maybe to praise, to take delight in some of the wrong things more than we actually praise the best thing. It illustrates this reality, and our text really speaks to that Um, really speaks to that today. As I said, we have a new baby girl in our house, which means we're getting very little sleep. So oftentimes Greer and I are up really late at night, and um, we don't have cable TV. And what's the only thing, or one of the only things that's on in the middle of the night on non-cable TV? Infomercials, thank you. 
infomercials, which basically means, you know, like infomercials haven't really changed marketing strategies like since the inception of television, right? You get like this studio audience who's going to come together. They're going to ooh and awe over the product, and you get a hyperactive host who, who, who just can't praise the product enough for its benefits in your life. You know, they make this case that your life is incomplete without this product, right? And so they tell you that they take something as good and practical as a Snuggie, and they promote it to the point where you can't not call and render those four easy payments of 1995 plus shipping and handling, right? And it illustrates kind of this, this thing that I think we all understand to some degree, because to some degree, all of us are infomercial hosts. Because we can take this, we can take what is a good thing, but we can praise it. We can take delight in it too much. And instead of praising the right thing, we praise the wrong things too much. Our text, as I said, deals with this issue head on. Psalm 103, which was read for us this morning, which is just an excellent psalm. And um, yeah, just a great psalm to have read out loud over and over again. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, addresses this issue. And David says to us in that psalm, how can we not praise this God of the Bible? How can we not rejoice in his good works of salvation? And David tells each and every one of us very clearly, praise God for his infinitely praiseworthy gospel. Praise God for his infinitely praiseworthy gospel. Our text this morning kind of runs three themes throughout the passage, and yet it does it in a unique way that poetry actually does pretty often. So if you'll look with me at your Bible, if you have one, it's, it's actually helpful to look at this really quick. These three themes are praise, God, and mankind, okay? But if you look, verses 1 through 5 and 20 through 22 are really about praise or blessing. And then if you look with me in verses 6 through 13 and verses 17 to 19, they're really about God and his gospel, his works of salvation. And then there in verses 14 to 16, we see kind of this theme of mankind develop. So there's this, this, this ascending and descending stair step of themes, right? That's kind of conceptually hard to understand. I could use a better word picture than that. That being said, let's jump into it. Before we do that, actually, let me just introduce um, what we're going to be talking about. If you've been journeying with us for a little while, you'll know that as a congregation, as four campuses, one church, we've been doing this thing called Open Here, which is just this, this, we're trying to cultivate this spiritual habit of daily Bible reading. And I hope you're doing that, and I hope that's still going really well for you. Um, But in that, we've had our sermon series following our reading plan. And so here in the third sermon series, we're starting to get into biblical poetry, which is a great thing. Gabe last week preached on Psalm 1, and now we're looking at Psalm 103. And the author of Psalm 103 is King David. Is David, the David we know of the Bible, King David himself. So the same David who who struck down the the Philistine giant Goliath, the same David who was known for his, his adultery with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah. Now, amongst all those things, we sometimes forget that David was an artist. Right? David was was actually the personal musician of his predecessor, of King Saul before him. A personal musician. And so David has this this way of writing that's very beautiful. And we see that come out in Psalm 103. We saw that as as we heard it read this morning. So as we transition now to our text, with that in mind, let's open up the word of God and look at it together. 
David says here in the first theme, as I said, is about praise. And he says in the first theme, he says, praise God for his gospel. He tells everybody who will read his word in verses 1 through 5 and verses 20 through 22, praise God for his gospel. Praise God for his good news of salvation. As we read these words, as they were read to us earlier, you can't help but see a person who overflows with praise and delight in the God of the gospel, in the God of the Bible here. And we see a couple of things in that. We see a couple of things in that. Well, first, I want to just recognize um, I'm using the word praise instead of blessing, even though our Bibles say blessing. And really, I'm just using those terms synonymously because um, as kind of American English speakers, praise is probably a little better word for us to understand that term. Um, But that being said, just to define that, praising or blessing is just to express enjoyment in something we value. And I want to look at two things about praise here. We see that praise actually has an object. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Then he goes into this this moment of descriptive praise in verses 3 through 5. The Lord who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and so on and so forth. Praise has an object. If praising is just to express our joy and our delight in something we value, There has to be an object of that praise, right? Whether it's your mom's meatloaf or a 1974 Ford Mustang Mach 2, there has to be an object of our praise. And David is saying here very clearly, the object of our praise should be God himself, should be God and his redeeming works. And then also in verse 1, we see that praise is holistic. David says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Oftentimes, our praise um, is a holistic experience. It actually affects not only our heart and our head, but it, it works itself out to every faculty and every sense of our lives. And we see that here. He says, all that is within me, oh my soul. People who know me know that um, I love Chipotle burritos. How many of you guys love Chipotle burritos? Come on. Like half the people, Really? Wow, I can't believe that. Okay, well, that being said, that is, that's amazing. I can't believe more of us don't love Chipotle burritos. But I know that when I talk about Chipotle burritos, when I express my joy in Chipotle burritos, for example, right now, my voice starts to get, you know, starts to elevate, right? My pupils dilate. I start to salivate. I start using my hands even more as I describe a warm tortilla with cilantro lime rice, black beans, perfectly seasoned and grilled chicken, you know, a little pico de gallo, some cheese and sour cream rolled up in a bun of goodness. No lettuce, please. That's just filler. When we, when we describe things that we love, when we praise things that we value, it's a holistic experience. Now, that looks different from person to person. And that looks different from one thing I value to another thing I value. Take my daughter, for example. When Myra was born, I did not salivate a single drop. Praise God. That being said, you couldn't wipe the smile off my face. I was getting no sleep for days. And I had a smile from ear to ear. Because I love this little girl that God has blessed us with. And so praise looks different from person to person and from one thing we value to another thing. And yet, oftentimes, praise is a holistic experience because we express our delight in people and things and events that we love and we value. 
Now, I think all of us would admit that we praise lots of different things, and they're all good things. We would all admit that. But the question I think this text asks, asks us is, what do we praise most? What do we value most? What do we treasure and prize most? And God would say, through David in this text, that we are to, to praise God in his gospel, or to praise God in his redeeming works of salvation. For his, his good news is infinitely worthy of our praise. It's the most praiseworthy thing we can know and trust in, believe in. It's the most praiseworthy thing we can tell others about. And so I think if Jesus were with us today, he would like to ask us, where, what do you praise more than anything else? What do you talk about with your family, with your spouse, with your kids? What do you talk about, or what do you, what do you, when, when somebody says, what do you take joy in, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Jesus would hope that the gospel is somewhere on that list. Now, I've used this term, the gospel, over and over again. And, and maybe before I even get there, it's worth um, thinking through this. I, I hope you're not hearing me say, we need to be raising our hands in corporate worship more than that. This is, but this isn't just a corporate worship issue. This is an all-of-life issue. It affects every faculty of our being, as I said. And so the question I have is, what brings you joy? What do you love to talk about? Now, I've used this term, the gospel, and our next section of the text really starts to illustrate what the gospel is. So if you don't know what the gospel is, if you've heard that word and don't know what that means, the next section, or actually the the second section and the second to last section of our text, really starts to hit home what the gospel is. If you'll look with me at verses 6 through 13 and verses 17 to 19, David says to us, as, as we look over those, as we remember what those said when they were read earlier, David says to us, focus on the God of the gospel. Put another way, focus on God's gospel. David describes the focus of his praise, and that's God himself and his good news of salvation in Christ. As we were preparing for this this message, Bill Gorman, who I'm sure a lot of you know, he was here at downtown for a while and now is the, the campus pastor at our Brookside campus, put together a list from this passage of all the things that it says about God and his redeeming works. And, you know, usually we try not to read lists when we preach because that can really put everybody to sleep instead of just half the people to sleep. But I think it's worth it because it's really encouraging looking at what this passage says about God. So I'm going to read it real fast for us. Maybe not too fast. I'm I'm already talking a little too fast. But, okay, and Bill's list looks like this. God forgives and heals us, verse 3. God redeems us from the pit in verse 4. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies us with good in verse 5. He works justice for all who are oppressed in verse 6. He reveals himself to us in verse 7. He's merciful and gracious in verse 8. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love in verse 8. He's not always angry in verse 9. He doesn't give us what our sin deserves in verse 10. His loyal love is beyond measure, verse 11. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, verse 12. He shows compassion as a father does a child, verses 13 and 14. He knows our weakness and our frailty, verses 15 and 16. His loyal love, his, his steadfast love extends forever to those who keep his covenant, verse 18. And he rules over all, in verse 19. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a wonderful thing to hear what God has done for us in Christ? 
man, it's good. So what is the gospel? The question I pose, what is the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus. And all that good news is, not all that, that good news is that Jesus died. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross, was resurrected from the grave so that sinners could be redeemed, could be forgiven of their sin. That's the gospel. And this passage illustrates it beautifully. It pulls out all these threads from the tissue of the gospel. And what we see here, I want to focus in, I want to zoom in just a little bit on a couple of things this text tells us about the gospel. First, in the gospel, God reveals himself. Verse 7, look at verse 7 with me. He made known his ways, this is God. God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. David is remembering back to when God took his people out of, out of slavery and bondage from Egypt. By the hand of Moses, God actually delivered hundreds of thousands of people from the dominant regional power at the time and eventually delivered them into his promised land. God always reveals himself, not always, God reveals himself through his redeeming acts. And he does that most perfectly through Jesus Christ. He reveals himself most perfectly through Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 will say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And Hebrews 1 will say that, that though God used to speak of his redeeming acts through his prophets like Moses, now he, 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 he makes himself clear. He reveals himself through his only son, Jesus Christ. For he is the image of the glorious God, right? The exact imprint of his nature. God's revelation of himself through the Bible finds its, its culmination, its apex, in the person and work of Jesus. And that is a beautiful thing. The second thing that this, this portion tells us about the gospel is that in the gospel, God deals with our sin. It's all over the place in this passage that God deals with our sin. Look with me at verses 10 through 11. Excuse me, 10 through 12. It says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. David is using this, this, this image illustrated by words to communicate truth. This is one of the most beautiful things about poetry is that Though it's beautiful in prose, it still communicates truth the same way that other biblical literature does. It just does it in a different way. And it's beautiful and wonderful, and we can, we, can, we can thank God for it. And in this word picture that David is using, he kind of connects two things. First, he says the fear of the Lord, which some of us might hear that and, and think frightened and, and afraid, and there's an element of that. But, but fear of the Lord is kind of how the Old Testament talks about relationships. It's the way the Old Testament essentially says those who trust in God, who believe in God through Christ, is what the fear of the Lord is. And then this word picture is how David takes this idea of, of removing, well, excuse me, first in verse, yeah, in verse 10, removing our sins far from us. Verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Then in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He's providing this picture showing the immeasurable distance that God loves us by showing the immeasurable distance 
that God has removed our sin from us. It's a beautiful picture. His love is infinitely large, infinitely long, infinitely distant, just as far as he has removed the sin of those who believe in him. That is a beautiful picture that David is painting for us. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God has revealed himself through Christ Jesus. He's revealed his redeeming work through the cross. David gives us this glimpse into the cause for his praise. He tells us to focus on God's good news of redemption through Jesus Christ. What we see here is that the gospel challenges us to have an unwavering and unceasing focus on what God has done. It's another reason why I'm thankful we we read scripture in public worship and corporate worship because it, it centers us. It centers our life on who God is and what he has done for those who believe in him. And that is a good thing. We are to have, as I said, unceasing and unwavering focus on the gospel. If you look at Jesus in the gospel narratives, in the gospel accounts, Jesus had an incessant focus on the things of God. And he was always pointing forward to the time when he would die on a cross and be resurrected from the dead. If you look at Peter and Paul, you can't go a couple of verses in either of their works and not have a direct connection to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look at the the narrative of Luke, right, the book of Acts, it's this story, this drama, where where the the church and essentially the gospel, the good news of salvation, is, is a main character that works itself from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And I know that these are all these are all New Testament things, but the Old Testament, David's saying, is essentially the exact same. It is primarily focused on the good news of God's acts of redemption. The Old Testament looks forward to a time when God will fulfill his good news of redemption through a promised Messiah. The New Testament looks backward to that gospel event of Jesus on the cross. And both Testaments actually look forward to a time when Jesus will reign in glory and all the things that are promised will be fulfilled in him. There's this beautiful connection interconnectedness between the Old and the New Testament. Sometimes we like to pit them against each other, and they're so linked. They're so linked, and it's a good thing. So the gospel is calling us to understand this. The supreme focus of David in this passage is the gospel of God, because the supreme focus of God in his Bible is his own gospel. Now, we've seen here that David exhorts us to praise God for his gospel in the first and last section. And then in the second and the second to last section, we've seen that David says, focus on God's gospel. Now, in this third section, verses 14 to 16, David tells us to see ourselves in light of God's gospel. See ourselves in light of God's gospel. He uses two images to illustrate the truth he's getting at. Two images. The first is this. Well, Yeah, the first is dust. Read with me in verse 14. Oh, lost my place. Verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This verse would trigger in the original readers uh, a verse from Genesis 2, where God is actually creating man and woman. And he says, he, 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 he brings them up. I, I have the passage here. I can just read it, I guess. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This, this, this verse is pointing to man's creatureliness. 
It's helping us understand that without the, the inspiration of God, we're but lifeless matter in this world. And the second, so that's kind of our, our organic image. The second image is a, is a botanic image. He uses the image of grass and of flowers. Verses 15 and 16. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. But the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. He talks about grass and flowers that, that bloom until, until the, the wind and the heat of the day actually, actually cause it to wither and the breeze of this life actually blow it away because it's fleeting. He's trying to show us that in comparison to the good news of the gospel, our life is but temporary. Now, I don't think David is trying to say that we have no value as creatures. You know, in Genesis 2, as, as I just read from, eventually God will say after creating man and woman that it was very good, right? There's inherent value to us because we're creatures of God, because we're sons and daughters of God through his creation. But that being said, he juxtaposes man so, uh, so strongly against God to show just how, how little we really are in this life because of him. In light of, of how good he is, our sin makes us look like nothing. And that's the reality of the fall, and that's something that David is trying to pull out here. And it's pointing us to this reality that life isn't about us. Paul will say in Galatians, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in Philippians, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? For Paul, life was constantly looking towards the reality of this good news of Jesus Christ. David understood the same thing that Paul was getting at. Remember when David was in 2 Samuel 6, if, you, if you've read this passage, David is, is dancing as the ark of the Lord is being taken up to Jerusalem. And David's dancing, which, which his wife at the time, Michal, um, you know, kind of gets on his, on his case about because he's, he's exposing himself in an unbecoming way amongst his subjects. And David says, you know what? I will rejoice. I will do even more detestable and unbecoming things than this. Because he recognizes the value of God. He recognizes that his, his praise is based on something that's infinitely praiseworthy. So the gospel is really challenging us to understand our lives as temporary and fleeting when compared with the good news of God. When compared with this gospel that he is proclaiming. We tend to value ourselves and everything else going on in our lives more than anything else. And yet David is calling all of us to see ourselves in light of this gospel, in light of this good news. David prays so abundantly and exuberantly because he focused on the good news of God's redeeming work in Christ. And he saw himself in light of that. You know, we bring nothing to the table when we recognize how sinful we really are. And that's the good news. That's why it's so praiseworthy. is because really, we bring nothing to the table, but God still says... I will redeem those who will just believe that I have given away that you might be forgiven, that you might be with me into eternity. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. Amen. Why don't we spend a moment, I think this is something we can all appreciate, just a time to focus, as I said even in the message. And um, we'll just take a minute to focus on what God has done for you. And maybe I can encourage, if you are not a Christian, Spend this time asking some questions that maybe your heart is, is, is wondering about. 
spend some time thinking about questions maybe you could talk with me or anybody else here afterwards about. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, spend time in the next minute or two focusing on what God has done in the good news of the gospel for you.